you. You may be seated. And those going to junior church can be dismissed at this time. Following Alex back out the back door there. The rest of you, grab your Bibles. We're going to open up to the, the book of Luke. Last Sunday, we began a new series called Challenged by Jesus. Uh, I maybe should have uh, called the series uh, Having Your Toes Stepped On by Jesus uh, because that's kind of the focus. Uh, it's a series based on some of the tough questions uh, uh, that Jesus asked. And many of his uh, questions were designed with that purpose of stopping us in our tracks, making us think about our lives and our relationship to God. And the question that we're going to look at today, I think, is, is one of his more penetrating questions. It's found in Luke, uh, and uh, I always encourage you to open up in your own Bible, um, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right at the beginning there, uh, follow along. Uh, that way you know uh, that it's right there in the, in the book. I'm not making it up. And, uh, and you can check me out that way. Luke chapter 6, we're going to focus on verses 46 through 49. And it says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Father God, thank you so much for your word, and we're just uh, grateful that you speak to us today through your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we just pray the Spirit would be free to work in our hearts and lives in whatever means and ways you desire today. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm sure that uh, some of you in here recognize those verses as being very similar to uh, the ending of the Sermon on Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in uh, the end of it is found in chapter seven of Matthew. And, and these verses are quite similar, but not exactly the same. And, and unfortunately, there are, are those critics of the Bible who have used the fact that they're not exactly the same, that there are some differences, to try to insinuate that the Bible isn't reliable, it isn't uh, inspired by God, that rather these human authors, uh, um, in this case Luke and Matthew, had different memories of, of this sermon, and, and one of them must have got it a little bit wrong. And if one of them got it wrong, well, what can you trust uh, in the Bible, you know? Uh, you know, and they try to, to break the whole thing down that way, but that's not the case at all. Uh, a little bit of study would show you that. We, we have to remember that Jesus Christ went uh, around. Uh, the, the Bible tells us he went from village to village uh, preaching and teaching. And we only have a small sample, a small snippet of all the things he's taught. And it's very likely that as he traveled around, he uh, preached this same message to um, 
various communities, but, uh, you know, since he didn't have his computer printout of the message, it wouldn't have been exactly the same in, in each location, uh, been slightly different, and so you, you would expect that there would be some differences. Beyond that, you have to remember that, um, that uh, this, these particular verses are an illustration, and illustrations can be used to, to highlight a number of different points just by slightly modifying or changing the same basic illustration. And that's what Jesus did in this uh, particular spot. If you look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you can see that Jesus was really emphasizing one particular aspect of it. And, and as you look how it's used here, uh, it's a little bit different aspect. All of that just to say that when you have some slight differences like this between one gospel and the other, especially in these sermons, it, it does not mean that the Bible is inaccurate or, or that it is you know, simply of human origin rather than, than divine inspiration. Matthew and Luke were both accurately recording what Jesus said, but you know, from two different sermons, two different messages that he had preached. So what we want to focus on today is this illustration that Jesus gave. And of course, how does it relate to us? What does it mean for us today? And I think the main point is fairly easy because it's contained in the question that Jesus asked, right? That's, that's the whole main point of this illustration. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. And the question itself points out the irony of this whole situation, right? How could a person make the claim that Jesus is their Lord if they don't do the things he says to do? I mean, that wouldn't make any sense at all. That, that, that'd be downright crazy. The, the term Lord is used in, in three different ways in the Bible. As you, as you read through, I mean, there's a lot of verses that use the, way, uh, the word Lord used three different ways. First, it is a title uh, or name that is given to God. Uh, for example, Isaiah 33, 22, where it says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Second, Lord is used as a, a title of honor or respect uh, for a, another man, especially if it's a man of high uh, position or power or influence. So, for instance, in the parable that Jesus told uh, of the rich ruler who forgave the debt of one of his slaves, it says, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. And then third, Lord was used uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, and it was a title for him that stressed his, uh, the divine aspects of his nature. It, it emphasized his particular role and function as Messiah and Savior of Israel and, and of the world. Uh, and it was often used as Jesus was exhibiting uh, his miraculous healing powers. So, for instance, in Luke 5, we read, While he, that's Jesus, was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And, and you can see in, in that sense, and oftentimes in the gospel, the word Lord was used with really those, those last two meanings 
simultaneously, both together. It was, it was a, a, a designation of respect uh, to Jesus, but it was also showing he's something more. He, he has that power to heal uh, and, and to do these things. And, and so uh, the Old Testament, uh, as it gave its prophecies about this coming Messiah, the, the Redeemer, the one who would save Israel, it, it often combined that or said one of the ways you would recognize this person as the Messiah is that he would have healing in his hands. He would come and bring healing to the nations. And, and so as the healing uh, m- miracles of Jesus gained more and more notoriety, people began thinking in your mind, wow, that maybe this is it. Maybe this is this, this long-awaited, promised, prophesied Messiah to come. And uh, so... Um, uh, w- with that understanding gaining traction in Israel, Jesus then asked the masses, asked a- an important question. How crazy would it be to call him Lord and then not do what he says? A- and to show what that would be like, he gives this illustration. It would be like a man living in a flood zone who doesn't bother to build his house properly. And therefore, it would be unable to withstand the torrential floods when they come. I mean, think about the huge investment that your house represents, right? I mean, not just the cost uh, of the house itself, but then everything that's in it. I mean, you start adding up the price of, of uh, you know, your computers and appliances and TVs and electronics and furniture and clothing and, and, and all these other things, and, and it's an incredible uh, price tag on that. But, but beyond that, think of the most precious possession that your house contains, the, the lives of, of your family and, and yourself. Would you really be so foolish as to risk all of that by building in an improper way? Well, that's what the person is like who calls Jesus Lord and doesn't do what he says. So, I mean, who, who would do that? Who, who would really be that foolish? You know, many times I've heard these verses applied to salvation. I'm sure some of you have as well, right? The wise person is the one who hears the gospel and chooses to build their house, their life, upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And you do that by a- admitting your, your own inability and helplessness to, to be to be this perfect person, to to merit heaven, because none of us can. Instead, you seek the grace and mercy of God, the forgiveness that He offers through Jesus Christ. The foolish person would be the one who hears the gospel message, would hear about the forgiveness and, and the transforming power of Jesus Christ and refuses it. And sometimes, I mean, we have a hard time thinking or seeing, well, how, I mean, how could a person do that? How, how, come, how could someone hear the good news 
and not accept it. But we all know it happens all the time, don't we? Throughout grade school, I had a really good friend whose name was, was Mike. And we did practically everything together, right? Before school, after school, during recess, sometimes during classes, which didn't always go over the best. You know, we were just goofing off and having fun together all the time. And, and anytime we could talk our parents into it, uh, we were together and spending this time and just great inseparable friends through grade school. But um, around 7th, 8th grade, something happened. And Mike began hanging out with a different group of people. And as we moved into high school, he started drinking and going to parties and doing a lot of stuff that I just didn't do. And, and, And we just quickly... Drifted apart, just went in opposite directions. But you know, it's, it's hard just to let a good friendship die. And, and so I, I went to Mike one day, and I, I want you to understand, I, I was not this perfect Christian kid in, in, in high school. I, I had a lot of mistakes. But this is one time where I, where I think I tried to do it right. I, I went to Mike, and I said, man, what, what's going on? And, and we got to talking back and forth, and I shared with him uh, the, the gospel. And I said, man, this is, this is what I've done, and I, I want to live my life for God. And, and he says, as, as we do that, that, that he has this plan for our lives. And, and I'll never forget Mike looking at me and saying, well, that religious stuff is okay for you, but it's not for me. And he, he turned and walked away. And, and we barely saw each other after that. And then years went by. I mean, we we completely lost track of each other until one day shortly after I'd become pastor here in Hot Springs. Turns out that Mike was down here at the VA going through a court-ordered drug and alcohol uh, rehab program, and, and his life was in complete shambles. And he heard that I was a pastor here in town. So he, he looked me up and, and came and, and we talked. And I remember after hearing his story saying, Mike, there is grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for all of our sins and there is transforming power that can change your life. And he shook his head and said, well, I don't know that I really see God that way. In fact, he told me, he says, I kind of picture God like a big dog in the sky, which I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that. Um, but once again, turned his back and walked away from the gospel message. It wasn't but about a year later that I got a phone call from my parents. They said, hey, did you hear Mike? Mike is dead. Drank himself to death. The wise and the foolish. The wise man builds his house, his life, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. 
And, and I hope you understand, I hope you know that doesn't mean there won't be storms. There, there will be some of incredible severity. But a life built on Jesus will be able to withstand the mighty winds and the torrential floods when they come. The foolish man, he builds his life on the shifting sands of feelings, of worldly wisdom, or the latest religious fad, or the best thinking in their own mind and intellect, whatever they tell them they think might be best for me. And when the storm hits, they have no foundation and the house collapses and everything of value is washed away. And perhaps, perhaps you could you know, tell a similar story uh, like mine of, of someone you know in your life or maybe even you recognize it in, in yourself. If your life is not built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, it really isn't built on anything. And sooner or later, sooner or later, it'll be swept away. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was using this illustration to encourage people to to come to Him for salvation. And and that's a good uh, and true and applicable application for this illustration, even in this passage. However, I want to say that's not the the main or the primary uh, point in in Luke as he's using the illustration here. Um, The context here is a little bit different. In this message, Jesus was not calling for people to repent and to turn to him for salvation, the the, the primary point, uh, because the people that he was addressing uh, these verses to were already his followers. I mean, if you go back to the very beginning of this sermon, which, which starts in verse 20, it says this, and turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, and he, and he gives this sermon. This, this message were, was for his disciples, for those who were already following him and learning from him. And, and uh, understand, Jesus had a whole lot more disciples than the 12 that were called apostles. There was a large group that followed him and, and, and kept learning from him. We're sitting at his feet and learning from him. That's what the meaning of disciple is, is a follower and a learner of Jesus. And these large crowds were there. And so Jesus is talking to these people who were following him already. And, and so if, if that's the context, then how does that uh, adjust the, the primary meaning that he's trying to get across? And I think... Jesus was referring to what can happen daily in our own lives, even as believers, if we don't build our life in obedience to what He has said. He's talking to you about what can happen to you here on earth, not about your eternal destination. And the two people being contrasted in this illustration, they both heard the words of Jesus. They, they both called Jesus Lord. They both know His teachings. In modern day terms, right, we would say, oh yeah, they, they both claim to be Christian. They both go to church and, and, and they've read the uh, Bible or read some of the Bible. They hear sermons. They, they basically know His teachings, right? But here's the contrast between the two of them. One acts upon 
and one does not. One obeys what he hears and the other does not. The, the first guy takes seriously the words of Jesus Christ and he goes through the hard work of putting them into practice in his life. Now, in, in Israel, where Jesus was teaching, the land was basically desert and, and, and people would really understand this illustration. Uh, it'd be vivid for them. In the valleys, there were these large, smooth plains that were, were you know, this packed down sand and it just looked like an ideal place to build your house, a nice level uh, place. And, and it was. You could make a good uh, house there. Uh, just one minor problem. Uh, when, the, when the heavy rains would come uh, during, during the uh, fall or the spring, uh, those flat plains quickly turned into flood zones. A- and uh, uh, to build a house there uh, m- meant that you had to do some good work to make it um, sturdy so it wasn't vulnerable. To do it right, you had to dig down deep uh, through that sand and rock until you hit bedrock and you had to build a foundation on that bedrock and up. And that was a lot of work. I mean, nowadays, if we want to build a deep foundation, what do you do? You call somebody with a backhoe and hydraulics and you get them in there and you get that thing dug out, right? Uh, uh, Back then, you had a pick and a shovel in your arms. And it was a lot of back-breaking work. If you laid that solid foundation, the effort was worth it. Because then you didn't have to worry about the bad storms, the heavy floods that would come. The, the second guy, he, he doesn't do that. He, I mean, that's, that's too much work. Perseverance, hard work, not really a part of his vocabulary. He's looking for the easy way, what appears to be good. And so, man, you dig out a little bit of that loose sand on top, you put a few bricks on the corner, and, and you can build a nice-looking house. In fact, his house would not look any different than the other house around there, right? From Just at a casual glance, they both seem to be the same. And you wouldn't know there was any difference in them until the storm hits. And when the floodwaters hit that house, there would be no strength for it to stand. And I, I, I think the parallel to our own spiritual lives is pretty clear. Some people seem to get the mistaken impression that being saved is really all there is to it. That, that that's, you know, that that's really it. Oh, yeah, I got saved. I know I'm going to go to heaven. But uh, now as long as I know to go, I'm going to heaven, I can still pretty much run my life the way I want to. You know, uh, I, 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 can, I can believe, you know, what I want to believe as far as, you know, as long as I believe in God in general, you know, I'm fine. Uh, I can live pretty much the way I want to live as long as I don't hurt anybody, you know, know, these types of things. You hear this all the time. Or uh, I can treat other people uh, the way that, you know, that I think is best and and it's going to work out the best for me. And, And I want you to understand, yes, it's true that that God is not going to force you, even as His follower, as a Christian, He's not going to force you to do His will. But the fact is, you're not free to run your life the way you want. 
How can you call Jesus Lord and still act as if you are the master of your own life? It doesn't work that way. A a Christian who tries to be their own boss instead of submitting to the master will end up in ruins. See, the truth is you can be a true believer. You can be saved and still make a mess out of your life. When we disregard what the master says, when we choose to do things our own way, then when the torrents come, when the storms assail, and believe me, they will come. You will have storms in your life. The house of your life will not be able to stand because you haven't got that sure foundation that you've been building upon. And the truth is, even when there aren't any storms, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no clouds on the horizon and things seem to be going pretty well. Even in times like that, we have a, a great tendency to mess up our lives. I mean, ha- have you ever noticed how you have the capacity to create your own storms? Right? As if life isn't tough enough, we go and do stupid things. Raise your hand in here if you've ever done something stupid. Yeah, and how many, how many repercussions, how many consequences can come from doing stupid things? So, you know, since storms are inevitable and doing stupid things comes so easy to us, wouldn't it make sense to let the master be the master? I mean, that's what the word Lord means, by the way. Uh, the Greek word is, is kurios, and it literally means supreme in authority or controller. So when you call Jesus Lord, you're, you're saying, I am no longer the one in control. He is the controller. You're saying, I am not the one in authority of my own life. You're the authority. I am not the boss. What your word says, that is what will guide my life. You are Lord. And the question that Jesus asks in this verse is basically a question of submission. Remember, if you're already saved, we're asking, how submitted is your life to Christ? Have you given Him your all, or are you still trying to hold on to some of it yourself? Would you say, Jesus, I'll follow you and and do what you say, except in the area of finances, you know, because I got some really good advice from H&R Block and I think they got things worked out and so I'm going to do what they say. Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you and do what you say except in the area of sexuality. 
I mean, after all, Jesus, some of that stuff you say is just really old-fashioned and, and out of date. And, and so I'm going to make my own decisions on what I think uh, should be the way sexuality is handled. Jesus, you're the master of my life, except. Except when it comes to this. Huh? I'm going to do what I want. Except when it comes to that. I, I think I got a better plan for that. And Jesus is asking you, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So it's time for a little self-evaluation. If you call Jesus Lord, how do you make decisions in your life? Is it based upon His Word? Or upon the best wisdom you can gather from Dr. Phil and the magazines and what you think is going to be bring you the best return. How do you choose what to do in the various situations you're going to face in life? Is it based upon what he says is right and wrong? Or upon what you think is going to bring you the best pleasure make you the happiest. How do you set your priorities in life? In your marriage? With your family? With your job? In your free time? How did you come up with your financial plan? your monthly budget? What regulates the way you treat other people, especially those people that are hard to live with or hard to love? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say to do? It's basically a rhetorical question, isn't it? We can't truly call Jesus our Lord unless we're willing to do what He says. And again, I, I'm not suggesting that we'll ever be perfect, you know, perfectly follow Jesus in all things. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. And, and really, that's not what this verse is referring to either. It's talking about the attitude of your heart. God knows we're frail, we're weak, we're human. He knows we're going to fa fail. But is the attitude of your heart a desire to listen and act upon Jesus' words? Are you doing the hard work of implementing what He says? To make the difficult choices to do things His way when your own way seems so much more appealing? Jesus 
never said that discipleship would be easy. But he did promise that it would always be worth it. Building upon the solid rock of Christ, which begins with coming to him in salvation, but doesn't stop there. It means every day saying, you are Lord. I'm going to do things your way. When we build upon that foundation, your house will be standing after the storm clouds roll away. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which teaches and guides us. And we're asking, Father, for the strength to commit ourselves, to submit ourselves to you, that Jesus truly would be Lord, not just, not just in theory, not just in word, but truly Lord in our lives. God, if there's any area here where we've been saying, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you, but help us to turn those areas over to Jesus today that we can have the life that will stand and please you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the